Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Man, well, thank you, worship team, for helping us fix our eyes on our Lord and renew our hope in Him. And then thank you, church family, for gathering as we uh, huddle up here to really encourage each other, spur one another on to love and good deeds that God's called us to. And we are week two in this Let's do some good message series. If you're just joining us today, perfect timing. And uh, we've got five more, or five total in this series, but they kind of build and excited where God's leading us as a church family. So I hope you can join us as we make this journey through November. Now, does anyone know why we picked the color scheme here? Is this just making you think something In, in a certain location of a store in Avon? Anybody? No? Oh, man. Our creative team just, just is feeling bad about that now. But we were hoping everybody would think Home Depot. That Doesn't this make you think? Where, and what's the motto right now? Where Home, Home Depot, where doers get things done or something like that. But it goes right along with our theme, let's do some good. And uh, was I off on that? <laughs> what's that? Way off, help me out. What is it? Oh, if you can do it, we can help. Okay. Well, <laughs> I know Menards, say big money at Menards, but Menards, whatever. But you know, one of, the, one of the top 10 best ordinary moments of life has to be walking into a Home Depot or a Menards or Lowe's on a beautiful Saturday morning with the home project you're looking to do, and you're surrounded by just limitless supplies and resources isn't that a great feeling and I thought about you know God has created each of us to do some good and he's given us his word second Timothy three sixteen. last week we saw to give us fully equip us for every good work and Sundays as we come into this place really hopefully it's a, a bit like walking into Lowe's with a, a home to do project that uh, God will provide just what we need and today excited about him providing or calling us through his word to put on a character quality. And then we're going to look at some just practical ways to live this out in our context and then wrap up with a, a special, we have a special guest with us today who will share her story of what this looks like lived out. And so question for you as we dig into the, our, our text for the day, do you, do you remember the first word that that God uses to describe his glory to Moses, the day that that Moses said, God, would you show me your glory, back in Exodus chapter 34. Interesting, bold question, and God in his grace said, yep, I'll show you my glory. And remember, he says, take the stone tablets, meet me on the mountain. And then when God reveals his glory, what was the first word that that he uses to, to, to explain his glory to Moses. And we see in Psalms chapter 103, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist replays that moment. He says, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is, and here's the word, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. 
And then when Jesus arrives on earth, God in flesh, and those closest to him describe him. They watch him live and they describe how he's interacting with the people around him and the needs around him. The wor- what's the word they use? Same word we see God using to describe his glory. And we see this Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just heard that his uh, cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. I'm sure he's um, wanting to just spend some time by himself to, to process this and grieve this. But verse 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As you look at our Lord and what marks his life, what marks his soul, his heart, compassion is the word that that we see. And so what do you suppose would be the first word as we come to Colossians chapter 3 and where um, it moves to that practical part of the letter where Paul's calling Jesus followers, okay, now this is what Jesus did for you. He died for you, rose from the dead. He's uh, given you this new life. Now, put on his character. Live out his life. And it starts with internal transformation. What's the first word you do you suppose that God uses to describe what we're to put on, who we're to be as we follow Christ? And we see it there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, that says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And so the question becomes, okay, what is compassion? Familiar word, I think all of us probably know, but how would you define it? When you really stop and think, if we're to be intentional about actually putting this on, clothing ourselves with this character quality what is it and when you stop and think about it it's compassion is the the capacity to see the need in another person's life or see the pain that someone's going through you have to actually see it recognize it be aware of it but then it it's more it's allowing that pain to to become our pain where we actually internalize that and feel it we suffer with there's an element of sympathy or empathy that's wrapped up in compassion. So we see it, their pain, we feel their pain, but this is where compassion gets exciting, where it moves from not just sympathy, being there in their pain, but, but compassion becomes, there's, where the pain becomes fuel and we act to alleviate. So we see their pain, feel their pain, and then we, we move into action to alleviate the pain of, of those around us or their suffering. Do you think about the picture that Jesus paints of when he's calling us to love our neighbor? What's it look like to love our neighbor? And he paints the picture of the Good Samaritan. And do you remember how what marked him that was different about the others that walked by the guy who was bleeding in the ditch? He saw the guy, actually saw him, saw his pain, but then it says, the text says he had pity on him, which is this idea. The Greek word is splagna. It's the idea of we hurt. And you can. it's one of those words that sounds like what it is. We just hurt, um, pity, and compassion. We feel the pain, but then he did something. He lifted this guy and spent time with him and and sought to meet his needs. So compassion is this capacity, a growing capacity to see, feel, and act to alleviate the suffering of of someone around us. So here's the challenge of the day. We'll put it it together. It's it's, um, simply this, to look and lift with compassion. 
to look and lift with compassion. Now, how do we live this out? What's it look like to live this out? And here are three questions that I'd encourage you, maybe jot down, but we'll process together here just to help us think through what this might look like for each of us in our unique life mission. Question one is, am I living with a compassionate or a calloused heart? If you think about compassion, it's one of those, those things God calls us to put it on, therefore it's not, not going to be a natural thing for us. Why is that? Well, pain, we don't naturally want to be in pain. We naturally um, resist pain, and that's a normal and a good thing, but as followers of Christ, we're called to share in one another's pain, and so um, how, how am I doing would be the question. Do I have a calloused heart towards the needs of those around me or a compassionate heart? Do you think about how you see people? Are you awake and aware to their needs, to their suffering? Is the first reflex, what, what, are, what are they going through? How are they doing? When it comes to filling another person's pain, how are we doing there? How do you putting up protection, or am I willing to just say, okay, bring it, I'll, I'll taste their pain, I'll feel their pain, and then do I get stranded down here in sympathy, and, and am I doing, am I stepping out active and in, in, uh, doing whatever it is I can do to alleviate their pain? I was thinking about my own heart, what is it that causes me to become calloused rather than compassionate? And there's the normal, or the, and it's a sinful but natural tendency just to be self-absorbed. We have to deal with our stuff, and we sometimes can get so wrapped up in our world that we lose sight of what's going on in the, the world of those around us. So that's a, we have to push out of that. But you know there's a more subtle danger, I think, that can create callous, a callous on our hearts where there, we, we long to have compassion. And it's getting caught up in a hurried lifestyle and a hur having a hurried soul. Have you noticed that in your own life? How it's not that you don't care, but you're just too busy to care at times. And what I found myself saying this week is, it's hard to hurry compassion, isn't it? And I was looking back over my life in moments where I've struggled with compassion, and often it's because I've had a hurried heart, or I've just been, it's not wrong to hurry and get things done and be productive, but to be willing to just drop it all, and compassion requires just time to be present. One example, this week, past week, we've been praying for the Legere family, and uh, Sharon Legere, her daughter Sean Cunningham, was uh, in the final season of, or stretch of her life, and um, this past week went into hospice. She went home to be with the Lord this week and continued to pray for their family. But Saturday on Halloween, um, the family invited me into that sacred space to pray with Sean and to just be with her, to be the Lord's presence with her. And Saturday was one of those days, I, you have them where you wake up just sprinting from starts from one thing to the next, and it's just packed. And, but thankfully I had um, from five to six opportunity just to be with Sean and their family. And so I went flying into the hospital and, and uh, was with them. And, but as I came back out to the car and just, debriefed with the Lord a little bit I was like that was not good in terms of me being a comforting presence to them I felt like it was a failure and I was like why and I realized I was hurried all day it was what you know when you get into go mode and just going 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 one thing to the next and 
I was going to be with Sean from five to six and then on to the next thing rather than just saying, if I'm here all night, I'm here all night. And it hit me, you know, you can't hurry compassion, can you? There's an element to it where it just requires to be present. Just I'm here all in for as long as, as needed. And um, stepping out of that hurried soul state of, of living. So the first question, how, am I, how are we doing? Am I living with a compassionate or a calloused heart? And then second question, who can I lift? So this is moving out to look at your life and who in your realm of influence has God given you the opportunity to lift and who, who may be struggling. I love the way we see God's compassion in action in Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 113, verses 4 to 8, where it says, The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? So here we see God's greatness, His glory, but here we see His glory in his compassion, where it says, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes, with the princes, princes of his people. And don't you love the graphic picture that we see here of our God where it says he raises the poor from the dust. And a picture just the dust of poverty of, and then the... Uh, the needy from the ash heap, just the lowest of low, our God, great as he is, reaches down and lifts those who are hurting. And that's our story, as he's lifted us out of our poverty. And, but what it does, what it ignites in us is, he says, follow me. So who is it that could say, you could say, okay, they're in the dust of poverty. And often in poverty, we think finances, and that is an important thing to think through. But the there's also all kinds of poverty, relational poverty, maybe social, maybe they're struggling with friendships, new to town, new to school, whatever. Maybe um, there's physical poverty where health, going through a health situation, maybe a surgery or a, a sickness, and just this person is down right now and, and needs someone to lift them up. The biggest, I think, is spiritual poverty where they're just not right with God and maybe they haven't come to trust Christ yet and just thinking, what would it be like to not have the hope that, that I have in Christ and being willing to, to see their need and, and drop down into their pain and then how can I lift them up? How can I be a compassionate presence to them? God speaks through James, giving us two categories to think through as we Think about who could I lift in James 1.27, where James writes, religion or worship that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after, and the word look after is literally to visit, to be with, orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. So the word orphan there lifts up the category of the child who, does not have the family structure around them to help them thrive and, and to survive and to, to live. And so who would be a child in your life? Is there someone that you could lift up? Maybe the, the kid on the soccer team or football team or basketball team that may not have a dad figure in their life. Think about a child that God's allowed you to be a friend of, of your, your kids. And then the widow, the category of widow, 
and when a lady loses her husband, and think about our church family, and who are the widows that God's placed around us? Maybe in your neighborhood, is there a widow that may not have a church family, and that you could be a compassionate presence to her? The word distress is that idea of where life is just pressing in on them, and, and uh, to alleviate that. So I was thinking about our church family, so many really neat stories of our men um, stepping in. Rick Kimmel's one of those guys, he'd never tell you about it, but he, over the years, has, a, has just stepped in for widows in our church, practical ways, helping out around the house. And I know, um, was over with Gail Hayes one time and asking her, hey, do you need help with your snow? And she's like, no, Rick's got my snow. And he will show up and shovel her driveway for her and just be in the compassionate presence of the Lord. But who is, who can I lift? And then the third question is, okay, what can I do to help? And this is that idea of where compassion moves from good intention to action. So where we get up, get busy, and do some good. And compassion becomes that fuel. We feel the pain. That pain becomes fuel to move us to do something to help. And so the challenge of the day is simply this. Look and lift with compassion. And, I, you know, it fires you up when you stop and think God has empowered us as Wes said at the beginning of the service, we have the power of God beating in us. Paul told Timothy, for, for God did not give us a spirit of, of timidity, but a power of love and self-discipline. And it's God's power that's recreating us to have hearts that beat with compassion. And what if all of us just say, okay, I will look, I'll be aware, and then I will lift with compassion when, when God, you show me who may need some lifting this week. And it's exciting to think about what God's going to do. One thing, though, I, the first step in putting on compassion is receiving the compassion of our God. And what God did for us in solving our biggest problem and our biggest need, which is separation from him due to our sin, and he gave his son Jesus. Jesus came with compassion, gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross for us, and he invites us to receive his gift of salvation through faith. And if you haven't taken that step today, that's the first step of, of compassion. And I love the, uh, the picture that Jesus gives to some religious leaders when he was here. They were wondering, why are you hanging out with sinners and people who are obviously far from God? And in Luke chapter 15, he says, well, here's the story that reveals the heart of the father. And he told of a boy who took his dad's inheritance, wasted it, and then um, turns back, the prodigal son, he turns back and says, okay, I'm going to go home and ask dad for forgiveness. And how does Jesus describe the heart of the father? Do you remember that? When he sees his son coming up, it says he saw him from a distance. He was looking and his heart was filled with what? Compassion. And it says he ran to him and he wraps his arms around him. He offers him forgiveness and then he gives him the very best. And this is our God. And what's neat is God says, okay, now, this is what we've received. We've received the compassion of God. Now, go live that out. Look at people the way he looks at, the, at us is what he's calling us to. And, and fill their pain and then do whatever it is you can do to lift them up. Look and lift with compassion. And we so appreciate our, uh, in our church family, um, we have this heart. I know I tell story after story of, what God's doing is he works through you and your compassion. But I've asked John Johansson if he would come. John and Ann, appreciate them. They lead our compassion ministry. 
and some exciting opportunities coming this season. But uh, would you welcome him as he comes to share? Thanks, John. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, as John mentioned, I'm here on behalf of the Compassion Team. And I uh, look out and I see some of our members out there. Um, our team's mission is really to help each of us here at Westbridge find a place for us to serve the poor here in our community. Um, so today is International Orphan Day, November the 8th. So I just wanted to share with you some of the ways in which our church cares for vulnerable kids in our community. Um, and then maybe some practical ways in which you can help. So um, really, our, our church's support for vulnerable kids begins even before birth. Uh, for, for a number of years now, we've supported Life Centers. This is an organization uh, here in central Indiana that, that provides um, biblical uh, pregnancy counseling for moms in crisis who are thinking about ending their pregnancy. Um, so this is a, just a, a crucial ministry. Um, due to COVID, they have had uh, a lot of trouble this year with their traditional fundraising. So normally they do the Bottles for Baby campaign in the spring the walk for life in the fall, and they just haven't been able to do that this year. So please be praying that Life Centers would continue to have uh, the resources that they need for this really important work. Uh, next on the list on the, the um, screen behind me is a, a new opportunity, and we're really excited to um, be partnering with Safe Haven Baby Box through our Thanksgiving offering. We're going to be hearing a little bit more about that uh, later on this morning. But basically, a Safe Haven Baby Box is a little medical facility that's located at a fire station. And it gives uh, a mom who doesn't feel like she has the, um, the, the wherewithal to care for her infants a place to safely and anonymously surrender that child so that child can be placed in uh, protective and, and um, caring uh, services. So we're gonna be um, supporting um, Safe Haven Baby Box for our Thanksgiving offering, and we're excited about that. Uh, next on the list is an organization called Safe Families for Children. And this is an organization that pairs uh, parents in crisis with host families who can care for their kids for a short period of time, anywhere from a few days to a few weeks. Um, and, and you know, parents, if you can think about how tough it is to get important things done when you have kids trailing behind you, um, imagine yourself as a single mom or a single parent trying to uh, maybe get a new job, find a new apartment, find a new car, and doing all of that with, with kids um, it could just be a, a really difficult situation. So Safe Families places kids with host families um, who can care for them in their homes um, for a, a period that's, that's no longer than six weeks at a time. So we've had a number of families here at Westbridge who have been host families. If this is interesting to you at all, if you'd like to hear more information about this, please email uh, compassion at westbridgedanville.com. You see the email address on the screen there. And we can connect you with some of these experienced families so they can tell you a little bit more about it. Um, next on the list, uh, Family Promise. Many of you have supported Family Promise over the years. This is an organization that cares for homeless families in our community. Um, and you might say, you know, how much of a homelessness problem does Hendricks County have? It has a problem and it's growing. We just don't see it because it looks different from homeless problems in other counties. Um, every year, the, the Indiana Department of Education does an annual survey of uh, homeless K through 12 kids. And in Hendricks County, that number's been going up year over year. Last year, they counted 177 K through 12 kids who were homeless. So Family Promise works with these families um, to provide them with, um, with better housing, with better jobs, just ways for them to stabilize their families. 
Um, traditionally, we, we've cared for these families in our church. So four times a year, we would have three to four families who would join us, live in our church for a week. Um, with, uh, with COVID, we haven't been able to do that. Those families are being um, put up at hotels in Plainfield, but we still have a chance to provide them meals. And we did that a few weeks ago. Really appreciate um, everybody who, who helped with that. And then just a couple more organizations up there. Baptist Children's Home is an organization here in Indiana that cares for orphan and foster children through uh, family settings. And then Bethesda Outreach is a ministry in South Africa that also cares for orphans and, and foster kids uh, through foster families. Please pray for Bethesda Outreach. Uh, I was talking to Daryl this morning. Daryl is on the board of uh, Bethesda. If you have any more questions about Bethesda, you know, definitely reach out to um, Daryl. But, but he was saying that this week they have uh, an important inspection from government regulators that are, is, is going to determine whether or not they can continue to do what they do. Um, they've had issues with the government there in South Africa uh, over, over the past few years. So just please be in prayer for Bethesda Outreach. Um, they've also begun raising new money for classrooms for their school kids. So um, we, we're, we're going to be um, supporting that as well. And if you want to go to the next slide here, just three practical things that you can do. First of all, pray. As I've been mentioning, praying for Bethesda Outreach. You know, with, with your families, with your small group, maybe pick a ministry and, and learn more about it so you can pray in a really informed way. Um, you can choose one of the ministries we talked about this morning. The church supports a lot of other ministries. But just choose one, learn about it, and pray for it with your family, with your small group. Um, that's, that's crucial. Uh, please consider giving. So as I mentioned, we'll be using part of our Thanksgiving offering to support the Safe Haven Baby Box Initiative. So please uh, give to that. And then finally, um, I would really encourage you to find a, a way and a time to serve, um, to, to actually spend time serving. So uh, I put one opportunity up there on the slide, the Shared Blessings Food Pantry. That's a food pantry here in Danville at the Methodist Church and a team of us from Westbridge uh, serve there twice a week, Tuesday evenings, Saturday mornings. Uh, we serve about four to 500 people every week who need food. Um, you know, there are two dozen, over two dozen food pantries here in Hendricks County. So there's, there's one that is close to where you live and there's one that's operating, probably operating at a time that works for you. So if we can help you as the Compassion Team to connect with an opportunity to serve, please email compassion at westbridgedanville.com and, uh, and, and we'll get you in touch with one of those ministries. And then we have a uh, special guest with us today, and appreciate Monica and her husband being here to uh, share her story, and if you would come on up at this time, would you welcome Monica. I heard her story this spring, and it is stuck in my heart, and in terms of what it looks like to live compassion in action, and exciting to us. To, uh, Appreciate her being with us and sharing this, what God has done in her, for her, but also is doing through her at this time. Good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I, it's always a blessing to be able to come into a church and share about our ministry and, and my life. And um, I was asked to come here and I was super excited because Danville is getting a baby box. Uh, it was actually delivered a couple of weeks ago. The chief is here today, and I was speaking with him earlier, and that box is going to be in the wall 
this week. So it's, it's super exciting that I'm here this week. Um, my name is Monica Kelsey. I'm the founder and CEO of Safe Haven Baby Boxes. We are the only organization in America today that is saving babies in boxes at fire stations, volunteer and manned fire stations and hospitals in multiple states. Uh, yesterday, we were blessed to have, uh, we, we call it a blessing of the box, and yesterday we blessed our 50th box in the country in Muncie, Indiana, and I was super excited. Yesterday, we had my mom's calling. <laughs> Let me just, she's gonna be very angry that I just ignored her, but she will get over it. Uh, yesterday, we had a very special guest at our blessing, um, and it was one of our babies that had been placed in our box, baby Grace. Uh, she was placed in the, ba in, the, in the baby box in Hammond, Indiana on September 7th of last year, and her adoptive parents, they, they kind of, stalk us and follow us wherever we go, which is super exciting. I've never had a stalker that I appreciated, <laughs> but we appreciate her. If you want to see pictures of baby Grace or any of the babies that have been placed in our baby boxes so you can see the fruits of our labor, you can go to Safe Haven Baby Boxes Facebook page, and there are pictures from yesterday uh, of this, this miracle that was saved in one of our boxes. Um, to tell you why I am so passionate about this ministry, um, it it kind of goes way back, you know. Um, I am a firefighter and a medic by trade, um, and I, back in August of 1972, actually August 25th of 1972, a, uh, a young 17-year-old girl was brutally attacked and raped and left along the side of the road to die. And this, of course, was when abortion was illegal in our country, even in the cases of rape and incest. And this 17-year-old girl pressed charges against the man who had raped her, and he was arrested, and he was charged. And if that wasn't the worst of it, six weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. At the advice of her mom, she found herself at a back alley abortion facility in October of 1972. And while standing in front of the man that was going to take her child's life, this 17-year-old girl was strong enough to say, I can't do this. And she left that facility and never looked back. She was hidden for the remainder of the pregnancy, and gave birth in April of 1973 and abandoned her child two hours after that child was born. And that child was me. So my biological father is a convicted rapist and I don't even know my ethnicity. But I am still a human being and I still have value. And my life isn't worth less than yours simply because of the way I was conceived. And I didn't deserve the death penalty for the crime of my biological father. You know, I, I speak at hundreds of churches every year and the one thing that really uh, drives a knife in my heart is when I hear people in the church saying, I'm pro-life except the cases of rape and incest. And, you know, when, when you say that, you're basically saying that my life doesn't matter. You know, we want, as pro-lifers and as Christians, we, we want to protect these women. We want to protect the unborn. But then when a woman is raped, we don't want her to go through any more pain or any more violence, but we can't forget that there's an innocent child's life that is hanging in the balance. And in us saying that I'm pro-life except is making this child worthless. You know, being a firefighter and a medic, um, it's an adrenaline rush to save somebody's life. I mean, in the back of an ambulance, you, you know, you save somebody's life, it's like you just feel like your worth is better. You know, I got to meet my biological mother when I was 37 years old, and that became the best and the worst day of my life because that's the day I learned that not only was I 
an unwanted child whisked into this world by violence, but I was also abandoned as an infant. And so if there was a poster of an unwanted child with a picture and a name, I was sure at that moment that my name was on it. And so learning this from her at 37, I buried myself in my work because the moment that she told me that my biological father was a convicted rapist, I felt like my worth went down. Like I was going to have to prove how worthy of this life I was. And so I buried myself in my work on an ambulance every single night because the more lives I saved, the more my life was worth more. And that's wrong. We shouldn't be made to feel like we're worthless simply because of somebody else's mistake. You know, getting to meet my biological mother really changed my life because she not only gave me the compassion that I needed, but she also gave me the empathy that I needed to be able to do what I do today, which is walk alongside women who are in the midst of a crisis. And, you know, I, I, I understand that some people would be like, safe haven baby boxes? Like, really? Like, you're asking women to put a baby in a box? Like, seriously? Yes. Yes, I am. That's where we are as a society right now. And if that is the only thing that this mother has left to give her child, that is enough. That is enough. And it's not that this child is not wanted. This child absolutely is wanted. This child, this, this mother is in a crisis that you and I will never understand. But shaming her and judging her is not helping her. And that's one of the things with the safe haven law, and even adoption for that, for that matter, you know, people will be like, oh, I could never give my baby up for adoption. Oh, I could never put my baby in one of those boxes at the fire station. Do you realize how selfish she is to do that? To basically say, I want what's best for my child and it's not me. We should be congratulating her. We should be thanking her. We should be saying, because of you, I have hope. You know, my birth mom, um, when I met her, I was 37. And three years after that, uh, I was on the ambulance and I got a call that she was not doing well. Um, and that she was at the hospital. She was 57 years old and had contracted a urinary tract infection that went septic. Now, anybody that's in the medical field knows that if an uh, infection gets in your bloodstream, it is deadly. And I immediately left my shift on the ambulance and headed up to uh, Michigan, which is where she lived. And, and I want to say, she never had any more children after me, which is very common with rape victims. And so when I got the call that she wasn't doing well, I knew that I needed to be there for her. And so uh, we head up to the hospital, and she's on a ventilator. She was halfway sedated. She was able to write on a, a piece of paper anything that she wanted or what she wanted to say. So we were still able to communicate with her. And so we stayed up there. And on day number three, the doctor comes in and goes, Monica, and, and her husband's name was Perry. And she said, Monica, Perry, she's doing really well. I think we're going to try and take the ventilator out tomorrow. Her test results are coming back. They're looking so well. I was so encouraged. 
because I didn't want to lose the one piece of my past that I had just met. And so I decided that night that I was going to go home. I thought, you know, I can go home, get some sleep, shower, I probably stunk, and, um, and sleep in my own bed and see my kids. And I kissed her on the cheek, and I said, I love you, girlfriend, you are my hero. And she would always, you know, say, oh, no, I'm not, you know, it, it was always, she just didn't want to hear that. But to me, she saved my life. And... And so I kissed her on the cheek and I said, I love you, girlfriend, you are my hero. And her name to me was girlfriend. She wasn't my mom. My mom raised me. My mom is my adoptive mom. This was my girlfriend. And that's how we uh, handled the fact that I was her biological daughter, but that she placed me for adoption. And so I, uh, I kissed her and a tear ran down her cheek. And I left, went home, slept came back to the hospital the next morning, and uh, her husband, Perry, was standing in the door of the hospital in, uh, of her room, and he says, Monica, she slipped into a coma last night. Now, if I would have known that those were the last words that I was going to say to her the night before, I would have said so much more. And she fought for three more days to stay here. But on the seventh day, the doctor walks in and goes, Monica, I'm sorry. We have done everything we can. But she is dying. And so at that moment, I was angry. Because why would Christ bring her into my life and then take her away? I sat at the, uh, the side of her bed the entire day, watching the monitor on the screen. And the monitor for medics... That's our lifeline. We, we watch the monitors. And the doctor comes in and goes, I I'm going to shut this down. We're just going to let her go in peace. I'm like, don't touch the monitor. I need the monitor. And so all day I sat there and just watched the beating of her heart on a monitor. And I held her hand, and my husband sat behind me and held me. And she took her last breath. She was with me when I took my first breath, and I was holding her hand when she took her last. And how amazing is our God to allow me to be there for her in her weakest moment as she was there for me and mine at that abortion facility in 1972 when I needed her the most. Today, I, I stand and tell her story, because this isn't my story. This is her story. I'm just the one who received her gift and is able to tell it. And I hope that she is looking down on me today, knowing that the, the daughter that she saved is now saving others. We've had almost 100 women since November of 2017 come through our program of Safe Haven Baby Boxes. Genesis 50:20 says it best. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I live by that scripture because I'm not worthless. There was a plan for me from the start. I just had to find it at 37 years old 
and then walk the path. You know, I want to, I don't know how much time I got left. My husband usually stands up and tells me when I'm at 13 minutes. Am I close? I'm at 13 minutes. My, my husband travels with me. My husband is the mayor of our city and home of Safe Haven Baby Box number one. It was really easy to talk him into putting a baby box at his fire station if he wanted to come home that night and sleep with his wife. <laughs> but I'm going to end with this. And, um, you know, on the screen, uh, before I came up here, there was a ministry in Bethesda. It was Bethesda Outreach in South Africa. And I was actually on a speaking tour in Cape Town, South Africa in December of 2013 when I seen the very first baby safe. And so South Africa was the inspiration for me to bring this program back to the United States. And I actually hand drew a baby box on a Delta napkin on an 18-hour flight back from Johannesburg. But I, I want to, I, um, I, was, I was actually reminded a couple of weeks ago at one of our blessings of our boxes uh, by a pastor who had spoke. And there was a man named Isaiah in the Bible, you may have heard of him, who spoke on God's behalf to the people quite a long time ago who had heard the voice of God when society was in a pretty dark place. And they needed God's help. And so God, from his throne, asked, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah boldly said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. The day my birth mom passed away, I wasn't sure where my life was going to go. But I gave it to Christ. And I said, here I am, Lord. Use me. And now I'm being used. So has Christ reached out to you? Have you listened? Have you said, here I am, Lord. Use me. Once you do that, the view is amazing. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you, Monica and Joe. Well, the calling is clear, isn't it? Let's do some good. Look and lift with compassion. And what's God going to do this week for His glory through us? Amen. One of the, uh, if we could put the Thanksgiving offering slide up and excited for the opportunity we have just to out of the, the uh, all that God has done for us to express our love for Him and give to these a variety of compassion ministries globally, locally, and then here at Westbridge Ministry Impact. But you'll notice the baby box under our local impact. And having Chief Roberts here with us today, special welcome to to him and his wife. And appreciate this has been his really baby. And the, our firefighters took this and ran with this, and are allowing us the opportunity to be a part of this. An exciting. This week, hopefully, or before Thanksgiving, that um, at our fire station here in town, the baby box will be installed. But thank you for your help as well. And thanks again, Joe and Monica, for being with us today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we uh, thank you that we can come to you through Christ and, and your compassion. We remember in uh, Corinthians, Lord, where you are described as the father of compassion. And as we look to you, we see the eyes of compassion. You see our pain. You 
you fill our pain, and then you've done so much to alleviate it. And Lord, we uh, today I just lift up my brothers and sisters and know as we gather, we all bring something that, that's heavy on our hearts. And I pray for those who are hurting this morning. I lift up Randy Mitchell and his family as they grieve the passing of his dad this week. I thank you that he knew you, but just pray for Randy's mom and, and their family, peace and comfort. Lord, I pray for Sharon and Chris Legere as they grieve Sean's passing and just pray that you would hold them close. Lord, whatever it is that, that is weighing us, we, we bring that to you and thank you that our pain, our hurts do not overwhelm you or in any way cause you to, to look away. In fact, you tell us that you move towards our pain and our weakness and we just praise you for that thank you that your throne is a throne of grace we can find all that we need to help us in our time of need lord i thank you for our church family and just the heart of compassion you've given us as well as our community lord and just pray that that you would be with those who are hurting in our community be with our caregivers and first responders and just us as a church as we go out this week lord may we go with hearts that are beating with your compassion to serve those around us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.